Hey, what's up, everybody? It's another episode of Real Sankara Hours, um, your favorite black Marxist political podcast. Today is April 27th, 2021. And um, yeah, we got a, a pretty you know dense episode for, for you guys coming up. Um, well, we're going to top the episode off with a, a bit of important news related to the mm-hmm. name of the related to the name of this podcast and then we're going to be talking about um mostly the the results of the chauvin trial um derek chauvin was found uh, guilty of killing george floyd and then other we'll be talking about other police killings and then the whole abolition versus community control over police debate so anyway yeah follow us at sankara hours on twitter um and if you want to support the podcast, um, uh, you can support us at www, like patreon.com slash real hours. Again, patreon.com slash real hours. Follow us at Sankara hours on Twitter. And for Patreon, $5 a month gets you bonus episodes. And um, anywhere between $1 to $4 a month does not get you bonus episodes, but um, you're, it helps you know, financially support the podcast and your support is very much appreciated. So anyway, without out of the way, my name's Adam Hudson. Follow me at Adam Hudson five on Twitter. Uh, and this is Peter. I'm gun. Follow me at M gun Peter. And yeah, let's get the good news out of the way, I suppose. Yeah. So, um, ex, uh, president of Burkina Faso, Blaise Compare, he, uh, is uh, facing trial in absentia for his complicity in the assassination of Thomas Sankara in, uh, uh, yeah, in the 1987 coup. So, you know, Thomas Sankara, who this podcast is named after, was, you know, a Marxist pan-Africanist leader, and he's the one who renamed the country Burkina Faso, which means land of upright men, because previously it was called uh, Upper Volta, and was a French colony. So, uh, well, that was the name it got from French colonization. And then, um, yeah, his bet, his close friend, Blaise Compare, uh, close friend you know, and bandmate, like, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Blaise Compare, he, um, he had a, I, I, I'm trying to remember if he actually pulled the trigger, but he was definitely complicit in, um, Sankara's yeah. assassination. And, um, uh, yeah, Sankara went against, um, you know, aid from um, financial institutions like the IMF and the World Bank. So that that ruffled a lot of feathers. And um, definitely the French government had a role in um, Sankara's assassination as well. But yeah, so um, this was a couple, like, I think like two weeks ago that uh, Blaise Compare, yeah, he, it was officially announced that because he was um, exiled because there was a coup um, in 2014. He was yeah. uh, deposed. Yeah, and, and just so to be clear, since uh, he got put in in 87, he was in power until 2014, uh, just yeah. straight through. So Yeah, 27. Yeah, he was 27 years. Um, who, he was a president of Burkina Faso. And then, yeah, there are massive protests that uh, basically ousted him in, 20, in 2014. And he's been living in exile in the Ivory Coast since 2014. So he, uh, he Blaise Compare, will be tried in absentia for the assassination of uh, Thomas Ankara. So that's some good news. That's, you know, um, I, I guess you could say one, one form of justice that's actually working um, a little different than the U.S. judicial system. But Yeah, yeah fu- we're, funny we're, how being a sovereign nation can help with that. But uh, right. <laughs> we'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah. So, all right. Now, yeah, let's talk about the Derek Chauvin trial. So this is, I think it was last week that Derek Chauvin, the man who um, we all saw the video. I mean, it, pretty much the whole world saw the video of uh, George, Floyd, George Floyd being just murdered. His life stuff snuffed out after having a knee suffocating him for nine minutes. 
um, in Minnesota uh, back in late May of 2020. Um, so Derek Chauvin, the officer who uh, had his knee on George Floyd, he was um, found guilty of, uh, well, it, it's um, like second degree murder. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember. the. Yeah, there, there are three charges. I think it was like second degree murder, third degree murder, and then like a manslaughter charge. Right, and I want to make this clear because this is going to tie into my um, uh, sort of hot take um, on on this because Minnesota, they define second degree and third degree murder uh, cleverly, um, but basically, like, it, it, the, the rub is between, like, you know, intentional versus non-intentional um basically intentional versus mitigated um and uh, so basically second second degree murder in minnesota it's an it's an intentional killing but there aren't malicious factors present it's not like premeditated and then um uh third degree murder is um not intentional so basically third degree murder like everybody everywhere else is pretty much manslaughter uh second degree murder in minnesota is damn near close to manslaughter so that's why like the way i see this is basically chauvin got convicted of essentially manslaughter that's that's yeah. what he was convicted of, yeah and and i think i think generally the way people try to understand like first degree murder is that uh you know, like like a Sherlock Holmes plot or something, right? Or like yeah. you know, you plan the mm-hmm. whole thing out, and like second degree murder is like a bar fight that ends up with somebody dying. But there also have been instances where, like, basically, you know, it you can get charged for first degree murder for not like you woke up that day thinking you were going to kill this specific person, but you made you know in the in the situation you made the intentional decision you want to murder this person and i do feel like that's yeah hard but to argue that's not what happened but at the same time i mean i don't think a cop's ever gonna get <laughs> convicted for first degree murder while on the force because so you know the i guess this yeah. is you can take what you can get and i mean i was not following the trial very closely uh, just because I really hate those kind of like America likes to act like it doesn't have show trials, but that's exactly what it was. Um, but I did see like a little bit when I was like eating lunch somewhere. They had MSNBC on, and it was like the defense trying to argue that uh, the exhaust, <laughs> the carbon monoxide from the exhaust pipe, played a. Oh. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, this, this is the Washington Generals. They're clearly not attempting to, uh, I mean, I mean, this is, they got the, they, they were just going to throw this guy to the wolves because they recognized that, like, um, I guess you got, they, you know, the, all, all the sacrifices the movement has made has gotten the system to recognize that, like, every few years, and especially egregious cases, you got to throw one of them to the wolves i guess or sacrifice uh very interesting term sacrifice um because that's what nancy yeah. pelosi and, and actually, th- this oh yeah nancy pelosi said that uh yeah for those of you who don't know what peter's referencing it after the verdict nancy pelosi said that um congresswoman nancy pelosi and ha- speaker of the house nancy pelosi said that george floyd sacrificed his life to teach us justice but even though the guy was yeah he like just fucking just just wow. i mean the vi- the video just clearly proves otherwise but that's just cl- clear asshole for wow some yeah i mean i appreciate it because there was some honesty in that like that's how they see these things i mean i mean talk right. about like you know i guess afro-pessimism black death and all that can and the consumptive nature of it it is like he was offered up as a sacrifice for white redemption. I mean, so he was sacrificed. Like that is that is a way to look at it. I don't think it's incorrect, you know. Yeah, yeah, basically like so, you know, on one hand like I think it's accurate to look at this as like a concession from the system 
and that concession happened because of the uh, basically the rebellions in the streets. But it's not a, a, a victory in terms of um, you know putting pressure on a system to make real reforms. I mean, some people say like there's real reforms happening, but like I mean, you know, I I would say that the jury is still out on that. Like there, there's still like a lot that needs to be done in terms of actually, you know preventing these kinds of fucking police killings from happening in the first place. Um, but like, um, I, you know, my initial reaction was that I don't think this, um, verdict is a victory because it's like the, first of all, it's the bare fucking minimum of like, you know, what should happen when, you know, unarmed black people are killed by police. Um, this is the, the bare minimum. So, um, you know, is it good that he got convicted? Yes, but I mean, this is just like the bare minimum. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's just like I, you know, I think black people are like we're often put in a situation where we have to be really, really happy for the bare fucking minimum that happens when it comes to like baseline of you know justice and respecting our humanity. And it's just like I like that kind of um parade i just i just don't want to join but there's a reason why because i want to sort of take this back because the um i i remember the oscar grant killing back in january 2009 and i and i was thinking about this case because i think there's some parallels to draw from that to um the george floyd one i mean the oscar grant one didn't it didn't capture the world's attention the way the george floyd murder did but it was one of the first I would say one of the first police killings of black people to be caught on like cell phone camera because at that time like cell phone cameras were kind of new um and so it was like one of the first I think that got some publicity but most most of the energy for you know the the activism around Oscar Grant was mostly focused in Oakland but then you know a, a movie got made, uh, the movie Fruitvale, and starring um, Michael B. Jordan playing um, Oscar Grant. So there, there was a film made about him, but it didn't. His death didn't really capture the world imagination the way George Floyd did, because I think I, I think because like the George Floyd video happened in like a perfect storm. There is a pandemic, and um, you know the the economy was shut down. People were locked in, and so like everybody was basically forced to watch this spectacle of a black man being murdered and then it was coming on the heels of like other videos of like you know there's a ahmad arbery killing by like you know those vigilantes in georgia then there was um well this wasn't a killing but you know amy cooper threatening to call the police on a black man for like you know telling her like hey don't don't have your dog shit or some you know he was bird watching or some shit and was telling this white lady to like i guess to handle her dog or something like that uh, um, it, you know it's i don't know that's that's i guess the kind of shit that happens in central park all the time yeah and so like there, there are these like other videos that the pe- that people are like oh my god why is this happening and then the george floyd one i think like was uh sort of um that that's like the last that was like the last straw and then that was the straw that broke the camel's back and then the whole world like erupted in protest so um but the the similarity I think with the the Johannes Messley verdict for killing Oscar Oscar Grant was similar because he basically got convicted of manslaughter, even though when we saw the video, it looks like murder. And he said, Oh, I mistook my gun for a taser, but then there's another picture of Messerly taken by Oscar Grant, like before he, Oscar Grant died, and it showed Messerly with his taser. So previously, Messley had his taser out, but then he shot Oscar Grant. So that means he had to holster his Taylor taser and pull out his gun to kill Oscar Grant. And so basically what we saw on the video for Oscar Grant looks like murder, but then he got convicted of manslaughter. And then here's the kicker. He was released like a year later on good behavior. <laughs> based. He was released on like a yeah, like he was released. Yeah, I think he did eighteen on, months. <laughs> yeah, it's like eighteen months. And then there were more street protests because, you know, and the time it was like, this is a clear joke. Like this 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 system's clearly not working to get justice for e- even in the case of like a police officer getting convicted for killing a person. Um and so that that's that's how I feel about 
the Chauvin trial verdict because to me it feels like, you know, uh, like, because people are saying, oh, this is not justice, this is accountability. And I think, you know, the thing is, we, I think we have to be very clear about what we mean about justice and accountability. To me, real justice would be uh, making sure that these killings don't happen in the first place. Like, that would be that would be real justice but until that happens i think black people and other um racialized non-whites who get killed by police like but i'm going to focus on black people because like this 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 still goes back to the fucking slave patrols like we're always in this position where we have to kind of bury our pain and like you know just sort of accept the bare minimum to kind of get along with the system but you know as long as like the system of police killings that churn out black death systematically until that system is just basically demolished then i don't see any real justice to, to me this was a concession that the system was forced to make to save face so that people maintain faith in the system that's yeah. really what this was like it was basically like because that death was so you know gruesome and like it was undeniable how bad it was the system had to make a concession because of the fucking protest to basically save face and maintain faith in the very system that continues to kill black people. And, you know, as we're going to discuss later on, like there's been other police shootings, like, you know, even, even like the day of the verdict, like there's yeah. a, a police shooting. And I, I would say, I don't even know if it's a concession as much as it is just sort of baseline, uh, competence and understanding one's self interest, I guess. The, and I think it's more of an adaptation, like the, you know, on some level, uh, you can't, you know, there's an emerging consciousness that isn't just going to be, you know, put quietly back into, uh, back, you know, back into a box. And so the state does have to figure out how to manage, like, the movement um, in a way that does that, uh, you know, keeps the democratic party firmly in control keeps all the people keeps all the sheepdogs you know effectively in place and also allows the police to continue what it their actual function is and so i mean it didn't really yeah i mean the way the whole thing was set up and especially like let's you know seeing reports from people in minneapolis like that verdict and that trial came in the context of like you know another occupation like the National Guard had just occupied the entire city, almost, as right. far as I can tell. Like, there are thousands of troops there. So it does. So that's the context that this verdict comes in. It's like, okay, yes, in the most, perhaps the most egregious form possible, after, you know, Eric Garner and, uh, my, and uh, Michael Brown's killers, like, didn't even get indicted, right? They've, they've gotten a little bit... Uh, yeah, they've adapted more to the current uh, media climate, but, and hey, you know, everyone loves a, a spectacle trial, you know, it's great ratings for MSNBC and everything, so, yeah, that's that, yeah, it's an adaptation, but, you know, I don't, I it's not really something worth celebrating, I agree. Yeah, yeah, it really is, it's, um, yeah, it's the bare minimum of uh uh yeah like it's it's really the bare minimum um so anyway let's um go let's talk about like these uh recent police shootings so okay so there's three of them and i guess like we can just talk about them like you know sort of in conjunction with each other but um there was the um okay so in uh chicago i think this happened a little bit or this happened earlier so um this happened okay march 29th a 13 year old boy named um adam toledo was uh shot so apparently i guess like there was um police were pursuing this kid and then um so there was po police body cam footage that was released and it showed um, Adam Toledo walking up, his hands were up, and, you know, it's in an alley, but, like, it's still lit with streetlights, and there's a police, the police uh, has 
like their kind of flashlight on and then um the police officer uh shoots adam toledo right there and then chicago so this happened in chicago so chicago police claimed that like you know he had a gun but then apparently like just recently body cam footage was released and then it showed that like adam toledo was unarmed uh when the police officer shot him so there's that and then um there is the police killing of dante wright in um brooklyn center in minnesota uh so dante wright was a 20 year old black man and uh um so there's an officer the officer who shot him i think was named um i believe is uh kim porter and she's been on the force for like over 20 years and she said that she mistook her gun for a taser um same fucking excuse that mesley gave for shooting oscar grant and i guess like uh, he was uh pulled over in a car he was in his car he's pulled over i i guess for apparently like having like um what's a fucking like air freshener in the back of his car but like you know um yeah like he was unarmed and then um uh like i guess he was trying to get get in his car or something like that but yeah like he he was shot unarmed and then um mikea bryant um yeah was shot and killed in your neck of the woods yeah well yes columbus ohio and i was even trying to figure out where it happened uh but yeah this was when uh basically when the verdict was being read uh she was or she was a foster kid 16 years old and i think she had gotten into a fight with i guess some of her friends or i think some of the other people who were living in the foster house but uh she called the police let's be clear uh she called the police and when the police showed up she was holding a knife because she was you know trying to defend herself and then the uh the cop basically just drops her and um yeah and then that one specifically sort of got beat especially because it happened like when the verdict was being read it sort of went extremely viral and but then also uh, the right i right wing media and then just it, i mean i've seen this take laundered into like people who really should know better like apparently dj envy um but basically mm-hmm. you know defending the cop and saying even that he saved lives which uh is ridiculous of course especially when you remember that she was the one who called the police but i i think like what i would want well i guess i'll just say it right now which is that however one understands that situation just even assuming like a good faith attempt you know and you're just like not very smart or whatever um is it's important to remember like the police know how to how many white mass shooters like have the police taken alive right like oh, the I- oh not even mass shooters like there was a video yeah. of like a, a white dude who um had a knife and was approaching a police officer and a police officer didn't shoot him like you know so exactly there are, there are many instances of what of and then right. there's like another video i think of uh, a police officer i think getting like kind of stabbed by this white dude who had a knife and a police officer ran after him and um subdued him unarmed so you know there's plenty of cases of police yeah. subduing armed suspects plenty right exactly they without, they can without, they can do it but them. that but in that this situation in you know with a black young black uh teenager carrying a knife like they the goal is to the protocol is to resolve the situation um, as quickly as possible and the actual lives involved don't matter and i think i think that even people tried to argue that like they were de-escalating the situation and i found that to be interesting <laughs> because it is the same argument uh the u.s used when it was bombing syria uh earlier this year because they said it, they were trying to de-escalate uh through bombing so you know it's all the same stuff <laughs> I, I remember actually I'll tell this story like um like there was I was um I was playing music at this this bar in um Walnut Creek California which is like a sort of you know pity bourgeois 
mostly white area, but this this bar had like it was a little more somewhat diverse, but still a lot of white people. But anyway, there was um th- there was this um bar fight, and I think like what led up to it was like I, um this dude was trying to hit on a woman that I know, and then like that kind of escalated some shit with him and his friend. It, it, it was it was really it was so fucking stupid but anyway these two white dudes um and like their friends got in a fight right in front of me when i was playing music with like the other musicians and they were fighting in the bar and like the the security guy got involved and um even tased one of of the guys but like in, in during that whole thing like um the police were not called um you know like so and i was telling another friend of mine about this who's a musician he said yeah man like he told me another instance in the same city but a different bar he said like he saw a bar fight and one guy pulled out a bowie knife and i asked him and he, i was like did uh did anyone call the cops he's like no so <laughs> there are instances yeah. of like you know white people getting in bar fights but no one calls the fucking police um you know they don't get shot but, like, you have an instance, like, here, where you have a teenage black girl in the foster care system. And, and wait, so apparently this home was a, fo- a foster home, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, because oh. this was, like, kind of an exurban uh, area. It oh. wasn't, it wasn't okay. like, the hood. It was very much way out there. Oh. And, yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar, because I, I used to tutor, <laughs> I had a student, I don't want to, I, I can't give a student's name and all that, but I when i was tutoring for like another company um like the company was uh contracted to um work with the school work with the school district uh to in the city next to mine for um students who um are 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 low performing and pretty much all the students i had were black and latino um and so anyway like i had one student who was a foster almost like Mikea Bryant, like, you know, foster kid, um, in, in this like sort of foster home in like a basically similar exurban town. So, I mean, like, yeah. So the other stories I was talking about were fucking bar fights for no, that happened for just idiotic reasons. And then you have like this situation where like, this is the foster care system and you have teenagers who are, you know, going through really rough times and need help and compassion and there's a fight that happens because yeah like you have to like i want to contextualize this and especially in the case of mikea bryant like you know i I feel like people who if if they're not if you're not a social worker or if you're not like an educator who's worked with this this particular demographic i think like there are just certain things that people just aren't going to know but like you know the foster care system is just fucking rough you know, and I'm, I was I was not in the foster care system, um, so I can't speak to it with full authority. But you know, it's having worked. Yeah, with it's very students. not good. Um, what? It's not good, and so like that context, I think, is important to understand. In the case of like Mikea Brank, you know, like there being a fight because, you know, when you're in that kind of system, like yeah, like there's, you know, you're you're talking about people, you're talking about like black teenagers who are like really got the short end of the fucking stick uh when it comes to life and it's not accidental because the system that we have in this in this society and so like mikea brian is is a product of that and rather than responding with like you know some sense of uh compassion and human dignity um you know the police were called and then she was shot very quickly yeah and it is pretty disgusting to see like yeah people who should know fucking better especially a lot of black people uh who should know fucking better uh to to see them justify this shooting when it's like well i mean that just shows like i mean this is part part of the reason why (laughs) this this is why we need um political education why this kind of podcast exists to at least do like some sort of course correction on this discourse but anyway go ahead peter oh i was gonna say one uh asking any asking the columbus police department for any human compassion or decency is is a fool's errand i mean that's the other thing yeah 
where yeah, I, the, the, yeah, the police shouldn't be called in this right, but right, right. but espe- I'm saying especially I, Columbus police. I think people who are not from the city or aren't like mm. kind of in tune to this, like they are, they've and it wasn't necessarily like this growing up, but I think it might have just been that nobody talked about it. But they really have been putting in the work to become like one of the top echelon like terrorizing police departments i mean this is not even like the first kid killed by the police like in my memory i mean i remember uh tyree king was 15 that was i think back in 2015 because i think Mm, i was still living there uh and yeah they it just keep like columbus police for some reason yeah i think they're like third in for police killings or something and, I mean, it's also just monstrously corrupt. I mean, they arrested Stormy Daniels, I remember. I don't know if anyone remembers that. Like, that was... There's a lot of weird shit going on because there's, you know, just a a real estate development, you know, industry like in many cities, any city that's on the come up or whatever. Like, there's, you know, this booming, uh, in, you know, development industry that does what gets whatever it wants from city government we like the columbus mayor is like one of the dumbest people on the planet i'm sorry i think almost everyone universally hates him not that mayors can really do anything but he's exceptionally bad and there's just a a, you know a gaping amount of inequality and segregation in that city and so of course the police are going to become you know extremely terroristic i think i mean we hadn't just gotten over uh casey goodson who is another person i think we talked about this we talked about this one uh yeah sounds familiar yeah yeah that was the guy who was like carrying subway and was and was like at his doorstep when the police killed him and the guy who killed him was a former marine and also pastor who like talks about you know like the sword of justice and some shit like that so that's the mentality i mean it really, like, it, it's hard to understate exactly how fascist, like, the culture of police are. I mean, it's not, like, you know, the, uh, you know, the Rage song, it's like, some who work forces are the same who burn crosses. At this point, I'm like, some? I mean, it's, like, right. like they are, like, what do you think, <laughs> like, what do people think that thin blue line shit is? Is, I mean, they really do see themselves as the sole protector of the social order. And I mean, on some level, it's not entirely incorrect because, uh, you know, this form of capitalism like is, destroys all social bonds and alienates and atomizes everyone. So, you know, there aren't like community <laughs> bonds to, you know, fill in some of the role that the police might, you know, historically have been expected to do back in the or not expected to do back in the day when they were just the hired goons of you know, the ruling class and not a paramilitary, not warlords, uh, you know, and a paramilitary operation. So. So what did, wait, what did DJ Envy say? Do you remember? I, I don't know. I, I just heard about that. So I didn't look it up. I, I tried, I tried to stay away from the breakfast club, but I know I did, I did see the, insane reaction from right-wing Twitter on what LeBron James said, which was just your next hashtag accountability. And then they made him delete it. And like, you know, they're prompting a new round of uh, stick to basketball, which I don't think people realize, like part of me is like, send more hate his way because, you know, someone like that is just going to use it as motivation. But uh, it still is just, Oh, okay, hold on. I, I found the art. I found the article. Okay, hold on. So this is complex. DJNV criticized for defending auction- actions of cop who fatally shot sixteen-year-old Mikea Bryant. Um. Okay, so um, police favoring. Um. Da-da-da-da. Okay. Um. Th- oh, this is what he said. I'll read what he said. Every case is different, and in this case, if I pull to a scene and I see a girl chasing another girl and about to stab a girl my job as a police officer is to make sure that girl doesn't get killed and the law allows me to stop that killing or that stabbing by any mean any means necessary that's what the law allows me to do on both on both sides um i'm not gonna lie i i must 
I must be a coon because I don't agree with you on this one. He's talking to Dr. Umar Johnson on this one. Uh. Um, so um, this situation, my only thing is only thing is this, and you're talking to somebody whose father is a retired cop. All right. Now, oh, there we. Oh, there is a tell. Now. Oh, that's that, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Now, when that cop pulled up, he isn't no friend or foe. He doesn't know who called the police. So basically he's saying that like the police had to shoot Mike Kia Bryant to save lives rather than de-escalate the fucking situation. Yeah, well, which is all, which yeah, is all, it, which is that's why I brought up the bar fight so I was talking about. Like you can de-escalate these situations and it, even in the case of what my friend was talking about, there is a bar fight and one of the dudes had a knife and nobody called the cops. So like you like in this situation and and there are other cases of fucking police officers um de-escalating situations even when the suspect is well, armed well they, they did i mean that is their protocol for de-escalating the situation i mean that's what people got to realize right yeah <laughs> but like um yeah DJ, i mean well this is this just shows like how like i mean the breast breakfast club yeah. and hot 97 just have trash politics um i'm, I'm, so, glad, I'm glad he called himself a coon um yeah so we don't, so we don't to yeah, we don't have to, but so yeah, he just um, you know, admitted uh, the truth. I mean, yeah, he admitted the truth about himself, but I, I didn't know his dad was a retired cop, but that that explains a lot. <laughs> that explains a lot about um anyway, speaking of police and uh, you know, their culture, let's talk about um we'll 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 uh we'll talk about in in the episode about these uh articles. Like there's been this um back and forth between people arguing for police abolition and then people arguing for like community control over police to lead to abolition. And, um, yeah. So there was this, uh, article that, um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. On. The so, one you sent to me was in forge organizing and yeah. I, I, I checked out, um, the masthead, only actually just because I was curious, uh, because there, I remember there was like an online publication called the forge a few years ago that I wrote for. I wanted to see if it was the same one. Uh, and from the looks of it, I don't think it is. Cause this one is populated with people from like the working families party and AFL CIO. And then on the about section, it thanks the Ford foundation and Rockefeller family fund for uh you know their contributions so that is who's bankrolling this website let's just say that um yeah so it's just yeah. something to keep in mind <laughs> yeah so there is this um this happened in okay this, hap this article was published uh february 4th 2021 and then um there was a response to it from uh i think it's pan-african community action um and it was like a couple weeks later a couple days later i think and so the the Forge article says um, the fantasy of community control of the police, and um, it basically uh, criticizes the proposal to have like community control. Well, the word the wording actually the wording is is where I think they begin to misinterpret the position because they're talking about community control of police, whereas Paca. Pan-African community action is talking about community control over the police. And that's a important distinction. So, um, this is how they characterize the, the community control. They say, one proposal deserves distinct analysis due to its momentum in leftist circles. Community control of police. Community control proposals involve dividing cities into local police districts, each with a locally elected community board, though some versions call for a randomly selected board. Each board will elect one of its members to a larger commission. Together, these bodies would oversee police department policies, budgets, hiring, training, and discipline. Um, so, and then they said, appealing as this idea may seem from afar, a closer look shows community control to be deeply flawed. It is based on a misunderstanding of the structure and na nature of modern policing. It is ahistorical, rooted in movement demands from an earlier time, before the, before the experiences of newly liberated call yeah that, wait so before the experiences of newly liberated colonies cast doubt on the idea of controlling repressive agencies it is essentially oh oh wow oh wow sorry i just caught that one but keep going 
It seeks to replace the transformative vision of, of the abolition movement with a bureaucratic solution that would turn community leaders into police administrators. It assumes that community boards will support a progressive agenda, and it does not address the underlying causes of crisis, violence, and deprivation in our communities. So, okay, so basically they're characterizing community control as, like, basically um, uh, uh, commissions and boards that um, oversee uh, the police departments. That's how they're characterizing it. Um, however, this is from Pan-African Community Action, and this article was written like two weeks after that one, and it said, the radical practicality of community control over policing. So, the wording makes a difference. The, the Forge article says community control of police. Pocket is talking about community control over policing. The, the wording the distinction matters so um and they even said here so pocket said that said a number of that said a number of the arguments against ccop involve significant mischaracterizations of our position the core mischaracterization of our positions across most of the responses is that ccop somehow competes with demands to defund and abolish the police the mischaracterizations tend to describe our goal as the takeover of current police departments through the installation of community control at the top while preserving the structure, goals, personnel, and priorities of police departments in their current form. That's exactly the Forge article. That's exactly how they characterized it. So mm -hmm. see, this is why I'm going back and forth with this. Um, they say, this is wholly incorrect, both as description of our goals and the actual campaigns for CCOP. Um and so basically, I want to um, basically so that so Paca's own tools of analysis assert that black communities are a domestic colony in the U.S. and the police serve as an occupying army. Further, in multiple position papers, as well as the upcoming book in an upcoming book on a subject, Paca explicitly states that we do not want to take over the occupying army and our proposal for CCLP calls for the creation of new departments on the district level that are entirely distinct from the existing police and controlled by the community. Paca has never called for control over an existing police department. So let me let me re let me repeat this. Paca explicitly states that we do not want to take over the occupying army and our proposal for CCOP calls for the creation of new departments on the district level that are entirely distinct from the existing police and controlled by the community. Paca has never called for control for control over an existing police department. Um, and so here, and he, uh, they expand further. So Paca works for community control over police. The term police, however, has been central to the many mischaracterizations of our position. For some, the word is inextricably linked not only to the particular history of American police departments, but to the current people unions, culture, and politics around us. They remind us correctly that the police do not keep us safe, but we will need the power and resources to not only figure out what does keep us safe, but to make it happen in our communities. So this is actually basically what Paca is calling for is self-determination within black communities to take care of the violence that happens in our own communities without the police involved. And that can take many forms. That's mm -hmm. essentially community control over policing is looking at black communities as still existing internal colonies. Whereas this article, I just caught it, uh, says newly liberated colonies. I want I want to know like when the that liberation happened with the. Uh, I think I think what they're saying. That's what I was saying. I just caught it. I think what they're saying, uh, in a very sort of uh, sus and very ford foundation funded kind of way is that oh well look at africa uh you know like yeah those they're like governments that like have sovereignty but like they're still repressive dictators so clearly uh it's not that like we can just trust black people with sovereignty to uh solve the problem of police violence because you know they african governments you know that African governments that are propped up by Western capital and whose security forces still have to enforce the interests of Western capital, mm -hmm. yes, do commit, uh, you know, repressive acts of violence. And, but, you know, that is very much, that, that's what, that's what they're, that's the, uh, 
read between the lines thing of what that sentence is trying to say. I want to I want to share this is a Facebook post that's this public so I want to read from uh, Dwayne Wong. He's a really good <laughs> Pan-African writer, like incredibly knowledgeable, but this is something that he said that I think is very much applies to this. He said uh, police brutality against African people is a global problem because the police force is an institution which was designed to uphold the racial and class-based status quo of the Western colonial system. The majority of African cultures did not have a standing security force. One of the reasons why studying African history is important is because it allows us to view the world outside of the lens of the Western system, which so many of us were born and raised in. It is only once we look at this system from an African-centered view that we begin that we begin really understanding how the colonial system works and why it works that way. And I think that, like what he's what Dwayne Wong is saying here, uh, overlaps with the Paca stance because what they're trying to say is that like they don't want any control over existing police departments. They they want basically. And, and they're not calling for like you know uh, some armed militias taking co- uh, taking over like black communities. Let's let's make that clear. Um, so uh, they they even expand on it further. They say um, even if we got rid of the departments known by the name police tomorrow, which is what some abolitionists like. If they're not clear with their argument, this is almost what they're calling for. Um, even if we got rid of the, the departments known by the name police tomorrow, we would still have all. This is the Paca article. We would still have all the social problems that police departments currently claim to address, prevent, or constrain. This includes social problems that are poorly addressed by armed responders, those related to substance addiction, untreated mental health issues, and poverty, which would be the basis of our long-term thinking about community safety, but also includes social problems in the short term that may require armed community self-defense, violence between community residents, violence imported by often reactionary underworld organizations and predatory right-wing fascist groups. Community self-defense requires the capacity to respond to all and any of these, which requires the resources now gobbled up by police departments. So, so I think like there are some abolitionists, like depending on how they, how they, even the term abolition, I think like people have to be clear about what they mean. I think like the, the abolitionists who are really serious, like what they're calling for is very similar to what Paca is calling for, which is that like basically different ways of taking care of the social problems within black and colonized communities but then sub abolitionists who aren't even spelling that out but they're just saying like get rid of police departments immediately which is like okay we can get rid of the police departments but well they could be replaced by fucking private security yeah uh, yeah <laughs> yeah the uh the article inspector which is a properly communist publication by the way uh, just to draw the contrast yeah they point out that like you know absent any actual sort of acknowledgement of the social problems caused by capitalism mm-hmm. then yeah you get rid of the police department and then you just get private police departments and now we're really in like cyberpunk 2077 or whatever i don't like that is like the pure cyberpunk dystopia is privatized police forces and i mean I certainly see, I'm 100% certain that there are going to be some people that, you know, some Silicon Valley psychopaths who are going to try and take that route of, like, creating woke private police. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, the, like, the question, I, it comes down to the, like, what is the fundamental contradiction or problem? And is it, that you know police departments have mean racists in them or is it that like you know these populations are not able to exercise self-determination and are kept in a colonized and precarious state by you know this specific uh you know force and the question is you know and is are people asking for autonomy or sovereignty or are they just are they asking for some sort of broader societal transformative project that uh you know most people like i I, it's not to you know shit on the work any like you know people really in the community are doing but like most people think like the idea of just getting rid of prisons and the police is a little out there um and though i don't think it though i mean i don't think it's you know necessarily crazy but 
I think that very much so it like abolition can get phrased and you know in a way and you know this i'm sorry but this publication is just proof of something i've been not not wanting to say too much publicly because it's a little spicy but like a lot of abolition stuff feels like it's just a way to get grants from you know the rich foundations that bankroll every all the social movements and that's the why that's the reason why like a lot of the language that is used is used and I, even in that article like instead of you know dealing with actual questions of sovereignty or autonomy and self-determination it's just well we just need to like fund a lot of social programs and it's like oh wow how convenient and i'm sure the ford foundation has just the programs everyone's looking for because they they go back a long time right and actually in this article later on it says in in the forge article um, yeah. it says if you are creating new community institutions from the ground up as abolitions abolitionists have proposed in cities like minneapolis you can in fact design it however you want and hire emts and tutors and whoever else you need but if you are setting out to administer an existing organization you, you can't just fire its entire workforce without cost the proposed process and nature of community control works against deeper change a commission whose sole purpose is to manage a single department is inherently reformist now here's the thing Here's what this is. This is actually, yeah, they are mischaracterizing at, at least Paca's proposal. Like, because I think, like, when people talk about community control, like, the wording is ha, ha, like you have to be very distinct, uh, 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 clear about what you mean. Because they're looking at community control in the sense of like having these police commissions that are uh, that um, oversee. Uh, police departments that has not worked uh, uh, los angeles has like a commission and they don't, yeah like so on that level like yeah they're i mean right. new york does so. right so so they're right like these commissions don't work but when people are talking about community control it, it, especially right now like they're not talking about commissions they're talking about essentially self-determination within black communities and creating alternative institutions outside of the police departments that serve the interests of uh of uh of, of the black community and institutions that aren't rooted in colonial violence the way the police departments are so and which is similar to like even the proposals of abolitionists who base uh, are calling for new community institutions so on that level when you frame it that way like the paca proposal and some abolitionists are essentially arguing for almost the same thing but i think like some people are taking the word abolition i think actually is becoming co-opted and i think that's something yeah. like like i think definitely on this podcast let's just like you know let's just call it for what it is i think like th there's like a, a, a blake from um hella black podcast said so on twitter and he, he was saying it like you know basically people calling for abolition but are not addressing like you know um issues of like land and autonomy like you know land like you know how do you free the land from like neo-colonial rule settler rule then it's just like I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said but he said like if if you're an abolitionist who is talking about abolition but you're not talking about like you know land back or like freeing the land from settler rule then essentially it's just another form of liberalism and that's just what it is and i think he's absolutely right like i think like people who are hopping on the abolition label but without addressing questions of land settler colonization and self-determination or... for black and indigenous communities then it's just another form of liberal it's easily watered down to another form of liberalism and yeah, and that's who's behind all the funding that the most prominent uh, organizations get. I mean, you know, I'm not going to necessarily like say who is this and who is that. But, you, you know, if you kind of pay attention to this stuff, you can tell which is like a real sort of grassroots community organization that is rooted in the community and is struggling to do the actual work and which things are and which things are just like op set up by grant funding uh from you know far away that is that is basically designed for rich people to feel like they're doing something um and and it's it's very much a problem 
uh, trying to figure out which is which and, you know, trying to empower the correct people uh, to do the actual work and making sure that, you know, the people that like like (laughs) that, you know, at best can only play a supportive role, stay in that lane. Um, That's I mean, that is probably the central task of the movement at this point is figuring out is is being able to disentangle like what is the actual important uh you know revolutionary work and what is you know opposite i mean yeah that's yeah. I, because we're at a because we're at a point where i think like the will and the readiness and i think the awareness is there but there's so there's so much uh guilt money floating around and you know the democrat i mean this is really the democratic party's only actual function is running this kind of shit and basically their entire legitimacy depends on being able to co-opt this stuff and so you know there's a lot of interest in preventing the actual uh transformative i even that word you know more revolutionary in scope uh forms of organizing from taking place so i think you know, I, I guess we're getting close to an hour. So yeah. I think that's probably like the main point I would want people to leave with is, yeah, being able, thinking, thinking about it as, uh, as questions of sovereignty and autonomy, because as the Spectre article says, like, how are you supposed to abolish the police if you don't have control over them? You would need to gain control, you know, in order to abolish them right now. What, the uh, you know what this uh grant funded abolitionist type movement it would be seeking to do is create you know opaque uh non really not that democratic organizations that are pushing for the police to do this and like that's not yeah this, that's not empowering like the actual communities who have to who are subject to the violence so right yeah and i think like to round it off and like to kind of uh you know, to tie into that. I think um, we're also at a point where, uh, like I, I said, like in an episode last year, that black politics is dead and that, you know, it, um, uh, so much of it gets funneled into the Democratic Party apparatus, um, academia, corporate media, and the nonprofit sector. And I think, um, yeah, the, the movement, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and like, like, I think that's, is showing that, that like, the energy behind Black Lives Matter, the grassroots and like the energy behind it is um, getting easily co-opted by uh, the liberal nonprofit sector and foundation money. And I think like, you know, as Peter said, like there has to be like a clear sort of split between like the people who are doing like the liberal foundation nonprofit stuff versus people who are in organizations that are rooted in the masses of um, black indigenous and colonized communities. And, you know, the latter, um, you know, like that's where the real revolutionary potential is. And that's where like, that's where the real important work is in terms of actual liberation in terms of like what that word actually means liberation, right? Like, you know, self-determined, basically self-determination. Um, but anyway, yeah, like we're at an hour. I think that that's a that's a good that's a good way to end this. So I'll just end it right here. So anyway, yeah, if you like this episode, it's a free episode. And if you want to check out our bonus episodes, uh, become a patron at patreon.com slash real sankara hours. Again, patreon.com slash real sankara hours. Five dollars a month gets you um, bonus episodes anywhere between one to four dollars a month does not get you bonus episodes but you know your contribution is still appreciated and yeah like that kind of financial support uh gives this podcast you know it it financially supports us and yeah this is real independent um black political media um you know commentary from from a you know black radical perspective and um yeah if you like this kind of stuff uh definitely you know become a become a patron because we have some pretty dope uh, bonus episodes so anyway time to sign out Uh, Keep the faith. Stay dangerous. All right. Peace, y'all. See ya.